0: So, um, it's encouraging to hear at, at Grace Bible Church. Probably the the terms "shepherd your heart," "guard your heart," right? Those are those are sort of commonplace. Those are just part of the way that we talk, and that's really, really, really good. And I, but I think sometimes when words like that, when they are so commonplace, it can become. I think they can lose their meaning has that ever ever happened to you You say words like you know i'm working hard to shepherd my heart today or or you talk about the heart what's the problem and you say the heart but you don't really connect all of, of what that means or what the solution is and so we we put things like the word wellspring in this in this ministry and we talk about shepherding our heart so that we are focusing on the main thing um the heart care for your heart when we consider sin When we consider pursuit of God, but, but I hope that, that this lesson this morning and in the verse Proverbs 423, I hope that it really will help us know what we mean when we say shepherd our heart and will help us better do it, if, if that makes sense. So, um, I hope that these terms shepherd your heart, guard your heart. I hope that they have become commonplace in your vocabulary And I hope that they have affected the way that that you live. But just because I'm talking about something that's familiar, and and even if this is like the third time you've heard this, try to engage and and try to evaluate. Do you mean what the Bible means when you say, shepherd my heart or guard my heart? So open your Bibles with me to Proverbs 4.23. And let's pray. God, I, I, beg that as we have your word open in front of us, as I speak and seek to expose the truth of your word, God, I beg that you would guard, that you would guide my words. And I beg that you would reveal yourself to us and cause us to worship you when we see you. God, I pray that you would grant us understanding of your word by your spirit. God, finally transform us, sanctify us by your word as it's preached this morning. And God, most of all, I, I pray that you would use this message to make me guard my heart more diligently. In Jesus' name, amen. So look down at Proverbs 4.23. It's incredibly simple as far as the passage goes, but it's also incredibly profound but it teaches a simple and profound truth about your heart, about your life. And armed with this truth, you're going to actually be better better equipped to pursue God and better equipped to fight sin. You'll actually be better equipped to shepherd your heart, your home, your ministry in the church. So the Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it is... The source of life. So in or above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. We're going to look at the different different versions and what we're going to see in all of them is, is the same. We're going to see a what, a why and a how. Right. If, if you think of this verse, separate it in your mind. There's a what, there's a why and there's a how. So first, um, identify those parts with me. What's What's the what? of proverbs 4 23 what's the command it's guard yeah guard your heart keep your heart or, or watch over your heart um, those are those are the three different ways that that could be translated keep watch guard how are we supposed to do that what's what's the how you guys can can answer what's what's the how yeah, above all else, it's pretty simple, above all else, or with all vigilance, with all diligence, right? And then why are we supposed to do that? Why this is Solomon speaking to his son, and he doesn't merely say what to do and how to do it, right? Just like like with your kids and, and just like we need, he actually he gives us the why. And this why is the foundation that helps us with the rest of it. This is the truth that we need. What's the why? Because it's the source of your life. So he tells his son, guard your heart with all diligence. And here's why. Because it's the wellspring. It's the source. It's the location, the, the fountain from which all of the rest of your life flows. Proverbs 4.23 is it's super easy to understand. You probably already have it memorized if you didn't already. And I recommend if you don't, you commit it to memory. And this outline of the passage, it's going to be the outline of of my message today. So as I talk, keep constantly thinking, is this the the, the what, the how, or the why of Proverbs 4.23? Let's start with the foundation. Let's start with the why. We're going to work backwards. Start with the why of Solomon's command. Why are we to shepherd our hearts above all else or guard our hearts above all else? Because it is the well or the source from which all other behaviors spring. So have you ever sinned? Uh, obviously you've sinned, but have you ever sinned and thought, where did that come from? Right. Think back to, to maybe a, a sin that surprised you or even just the last sin sin that you can remember. Um. Maybe it was exploding at your roommates, a short temper with your husband, anger at your children, entertaining or acting on sinful fantasies. Maybe just laziness, lying, gossip, sharp speech. No matter what it was, Proverbs 4.23 helps you get at the root of these sins and more. And it, and it prepares us for the great gospel solution to the heart of the problem. Right? So the inspired Solomon gives a profound illustration for your life. You can think of every single thing that you do, everything you think, whether good or bad, everything that you say, all of that. Imagine that's all flowing water, right? Everything that you do is, is water flowing and all of it has a common source. It's the wellspring. It's your heart. Obviously, this isn't the physical heart, blood pumping heart, but it's the term the Bible uses to describe the most inner you, the source of all that you do, all that you think, all that you are. It's, it's pretty simple, but it has profound consequences. It, it reveals the relationship between our heart and our actions. So when you ask, when you see sin or you see righteous behavior, if you see anything that you do and you ask, where did that come from? You know what the answer is. The wellspring, your heart. So there is no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Think about that. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. You can put that another way. There is no part of your life that your heart does not affect, right? There's no part of your life. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. And there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect. The image, the image here in Solomon's mind, the image is of a, a city's vital water source, right? Back, back then they didn't have SRP. They, they, they had a source from which all the water in the city flowed and pure water at the source can provide everyone in the city with pure water. Right. But what happens if that source is contaminated? There's no hope for pure water, right? They don't, they didn't have filtration systems. Our heart does not have a filtration system. Our, our body, our actions don't have filtration systems. Whatever the, is at the source, pure or contaminated is what's going to flow through all of our behavior, and this is a problem, right? because the Bible describes the heart in some pretty unflattering terms. consider jeremiah seventeen nine this is on the back of your of your note page of your on page two. consider jeremiah seventeen nine What does it say? The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then consider that God saw the wickedness in man's heart and he was moved to kill everything alive except for Noah and his family and the pairs of animals in the ark. Open your Bible to Genesis 6 5 and look at God's assessment. Of the human heart. Genesis 6 5. Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of his heart was only evil continuously. Every intention of his heart was only evil continually. And remember, the flood didn't fix man's heart problem, right? This is just as true of man after the flood, descendants of Noah, as it was before the flood, descendants of Adam. That description of man's heart as only evil continually, it's just as true today. And there's no part of your life that does not flow from this wellspring. And if this wellspring is deceitful, desperately sick, and always evil continually... Based on Proverbs 4.23, what would you expect to come from the woman with this evil well source? Well, a poisoned well produces poisoned water and a wicked, unrighteous heart produces wicked, unrighteous actions. And always consistent with itself and this truth, this is exactly what we find. God's assessment of mankind's heart is in his word. Right, Genesis six five, plus Proverbs four twenty three, equals Romans three ten through twelve. Does that make sense? If we take the assessment that man's heart is only evil continually, and that every area, everything that you do flows from that heart, what would we expect to see? The outcome of, or a description of all of our behavior would be, well, Romans three ten. That quotes Psalm 14, 1 through 3, and it says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. That makes sense, right? And when you have Proverbs 4.23 and you have Genesis 6.5 and all the other texts consistent with that, of course, no one does good. No, not one. We are a bunch of wicked people, all of humanity, right? A bunch of wicked people with unrighteous lives because we have wicked hearts. But remember, God doesn't leave the Christian in this situation, right? There's nothing we can do to fix this. We can't change our hearts and we certainly can't change the, the water that flows from our, our hearts. But God, speaking in the new co- to the, of New covenant of his new covenant with Israel that Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well, God says in Ezekiel 36:26 he says, "I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you." I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God promised Israel that he will someday give them a heart transplant. Right. And that would be their only hope for cleaning. This hasn't yet happened for all of Israel. But it is what God does for us and every believer when he saves us. Takes out our old heart of stone, only evil continually. Heart transplant replaces it with a heart of flesh that he has made exactly how he has wanted. That's now able to do his will. So what vivid imagery? I, I have a benefit of, I get to play with hearts all day long. That's, that's my job. I do anesthesia and I do cardiac anesthesia, which is super fun. But I don't I don't get to I don't get to see many healthy hearts. Right? I, I get to see how important a healthy physical heart is. And it's it's sobering when you see what happens to a body when the heart goes bad. Right? Blood when the heart's bad, blood stops flowing effectively, and the whole body goes bad. A bad heart and the whole body's bad. God designed healthy hearts to be nice and elastic. I don't know how many of you guys have gotten to, maybe in high school, gotten to dissect dissect hearts. and Maybe this is just me, but it's crazy how much, when you have a nice healthy heart, you can fill it full of fluid and it stretches and it pops right back. It is a good, strong pump that can handle whatever is put into it. But when, when a heart... Let's say when you have a virus, viruses can attack the heart, cause heart failure. Heart attacks can attack the heart, cause heart failure. Regardless of what the problem is, when the heart goes bad, it sort of becomes like a rock. You can't put much in it, and not much comes out. It, it's hard. It's, it's sort of like a stone. And um, a healthy heart can vigorously pump oxygen-rich blood throughout the body to feed the organs But when the heart's diseased, that supple, powerful heart becomes like stone. Blood literally passively flows in, but the heart can't stretch to accommodate it, and it pumps so weakly that organs are starved. Cognitive function deteriorates. Lungs fill with fluid. Kidneys shut down. Muscles refuse to work. The body is incapacitated in weakness and lethargy, ultimately leading to misery and death, right? The, the quality of the heart is seen in the quality of, of all the rest in the body. But I, I say that to say it's remarkable to see. I, I took care of a patient not long ago who had had a heart transplant. And it's crazy when you read what that person was and then you, they get a new heart and they're not that same person anymore, Right When the stony heart is removed and replaced with a healthy young heart, the person literally becomes a new person. Dying organs are rejuvenated by new blood flow. The mind quickens. A body that looked like death is filled with new life. In Christian, if you are a Christian today, this isn't just theoretical. Right? Christian, you and I had an old, dead heart of stone. And God gave you a new heart of flesh. Don't just say, Oh, I knew that. Worship him right now in your heart. Worship him for that. This is what God did to you, Christian, when he saved you. God took your old dead heart out, he replaced it with a new heart. You were born again, John 3 3. You are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 17. God has given you a new heart. We used to be slaves of sin. Because our heart was sinful. We used to be disobedient from the heart. Let's read Romans 6.17 in light of of what we've just learned. Romans 6.17 tells us what God has done. And Paul starts with a proper response. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been fet- set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. Now that makes sense, right? If, if what you do comes from your heart before you were a slave to sin, why? Because of your heart. Now you're slave to righteousness. Why? Because the, the very nature of your heart has been changed not perfectly not ultimately not like it will be we're going to talk about that later not like it will be at glorification we still have have residual at residual flesh we still we'll talk about that but that from the heart we've been changed so praise and thank god for that proverbs four twenty three told us that the heart is the wellspring of life and that would be horrible news if it were not for the great news of the gospel, that when God changes us, he changes us from our very heart. The change that the gospel brings in us, it's not superficial. If you are a Christian, you have been changed from the very core of who you are. right? You've been changed from the wellspring of your life, your heart. So let everything else that you learn today, everything you resolve to do today, let all of that sit under the shadow of that massive truth of the gospel. The call to guard your heart is not a call to change your heart. That's already been done. Right? Let all of, these, all of the things that you resolve in your res- resolutions to guard your heart be empowered by and because God has done the great work of a heart transplant through his gospel. So if God hasn't changed you from the heart, if you're not a Christian, but you're here just doing religious things, that, that might describe some of you. If you're here doing religious things, know for sure that religious efforts are futile. Right? Because they're not for God's glory. They flow from a wicked heart and they're evil in God's eyes. In a room this size, there's some chance that some of you haven't been changed from the heart, that maybe you've been content with religion. Please consider if this is you. and if so, confess it to God. Despair of any goodness that you thought you might have on your own and agree with God. Turn to God in desperate faith and ask him to cleanse you from the heart. right? The problem is the heart and the sin that flows from it. So the solution must deal with the heart and forgiveness of that sin. And that's exactly what Jesus offers. So Puritan pastor Richard Baxter, he wisely advised the church, till the spirit has regenerated the soul, all outward religion will be but a dead and pitiful thing. To make up a religion of doing or saying something that's good while the heart is void of the spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace that's a hypocrite's religion so to pretend that you are holy through religious exercise and hard work while your evil heart remains unchanged that's the that's the religion of pharisees that god will be glorified to judge and whose practitioners will spend eternity under god's wrath but praise god he has no interest in that kind of religion Through the gospel, by Jesus' work at the cross, God gives us new hearts. Thanks be to God. So, Christian, your your heart is precious. It's precious not only because it's the source from which all your life flows, but because it was made new through the gospel. You were a slave to sin because your heart was sinful. Now you're a slave to righteousness. Righteousness. So imagine with me, we're going to go back to the analogy. Imagine with me a city with a poisoned well. The city could not flourish, right? If the well was poisoned, what would that city be full of? Death. Then one day the king filled in that old poisonous well and he dug another one, one that was pure, And immediately that city would be full of life, no longer the death from the poison, life from the new water. Those who had been made weak, anemic, dying from the poison, they'd have a taste of that which they never knew before. Pure water. These people, those people would know the importance of that wellspring, right? They've already known, they've already tasted the effects of a tainted well. And now they know the joys of purity. Those people would know the importance of a pure water source and they would never think, I wonder how much poison I could let back into the well and still be okay. No, they would guard that well with all vigilance, right? Because they know that their very lives depend on it. And Christian, we are those people. So in light of this illustration, consider the quote by Charles Spurgeon. The poison of the soul is only sin. This is at the bottom of page two. And this is like to poison in many respects. Poison, wherever it enters, stays not there, but diffuses itself all over the body. And it never ceases until it is infected all. Such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will, it creeps from one member of the body to another, and from the body to the soul, till it has infected the whole man, and then from man to man, till the whole family, and stays not there, but runs like wildfire from family to family, till it has poisoned a whole town, and so a whole country, and a whole kingdom. Woeful experience proves this true. The poison of sin won't stay in your heart. It will seek to destroy you, move from you to your home, then your ministry, your small group, and your church. What poison are you dabbling with? Are you thinking, I wonder how much poison I can let back in this pure wellspring and still be okay? Okay. Remember purity. Remember the purity that Jesus bought with his own blood and long for it. Don't stop at anything to guard your well for the sake of your life, your home and the church guard your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. How's everybody doing? We're about 40 minutes in. Does anybody want to take a break? We probably have another half hour or so. Are we good? All right, we'll keep going. So the truth that the wellspring of life, that that the heart is the wellspring of life, that truth leads very naturally to Solomon's command, right? All that we've done is we've talked about the why. The heart is the wellspring of life, and we've thought, thought through the implications of that in terms of the gospel. And command we've seen flows very naturally from that, which is the what, right? Guard your heart. Sin is poison. Purity is to be protected. So guard your heart. So notice with me that Solomon is speaking to his son and he gives this instruction as a command, right? Guard is an imperative here. It's not optional. It's not something passive. It's active. The, the word here used here for guard, watch, keep, it's the same word used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe an alert sentry in a watchtower, like one on the Judean mountainside, guarding valuable resources. A city would place these men at strategic locations to ensure their safety, the safety of things like their water, the gates, important roads, the city would know what was important and it would place a guard to keep watch over those things. And that guard had one job guard it. A city dependent on a pure water source, it would obviously place these sentries around the spring to protect the purity of water. A city at war would have guards always on watch, knowing that a very real threat could appear at any moment. And we Christians, we have a precious, newly pure water source with ever-present threats, right? Sin within, Satan without, cares of this world. They're seeking to poison the well. We must guard our hearts. So how are we to guard our hearts, right? The importance of it is obvious. It might not be as easy to know how to, how to live this out. How do you guard your heart? how can we keep this source of our life pure? Thankfully, David asked this question and gave the answer in Psalm 119, verse 9. Turn there, it's on your your page, um, top middle of, of page three in your notes. And read it with me. David asked, how can a young man keep his way pure? Right, that's the same thing as saying, how can I guard the purity of this heart, right? Consistent with everything that we've said, this is basically our question. How do we guard our hearts? How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, how, how would you answer this question without looking down? How have you tried? Let's see how David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, answers it. What does he says? He says, by guarding it according to your word. And then he says something profound. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So how did David guard his heart? He guarded his heart with God's word. Specifically, David guarded his heart by seeking God through his word. As you guard your heart, you will be protecting it from evil, right? You won't be wandering from his commandments. You will be careful who and what you allow close. You'll be careful to fight temptation. You won't think that your heart can tolerate just a little bit of evil. You'll protect your heart from exposure to things that would poison the wellspring of life. And this next thing I say might be the most important thing you hear today. We see more importantly and more fundamental to the guarding of your heart. It isn't just what you keep out. But what you keep in. What did David say? With my whole heart, I seek you. How can you keep your heart pure? Seek God with all your heart. See, purity isn't merely an absence of sin. Purity in your heart is a prizing of God above all else. So as we guard the wellspring of our hearts, we must be shepherding our hearts to the word of God to get the God of the word. In your guarding of your heart, guard yourself from the the temptation um, of pharisaical, behavior-focused religion merely. But rather, guard your heart to God in the gospel. Let's look at a New Testament parallel to David's heart-purifying God-seeking in Psalm one nineteen nine. This isn't on your outline. Uh, Write 1 John 3, 2-3 on your outline and turn there in your Bibles with me. 1 John three two through three. He says, Beloved, I'll wait till you get there. First John three two through three. Beloved, we are God's children now. You see, when God changes us from the heart, part of that process is Him adopting us into His family, making us His children actually making us like him. But when we look at our lives, we can know that that's theologically true and we see evidence of it. But what's with all the sin that still is around us, right? If God changed us from the heart, why do we still sin? Let's, Let's look at this. Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears... We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Christian, God has changed you. He has even made you his child. But this change in nature, although drastic, it isn't yet complete. What we will be has not yet appeared. One day. When we see God as he is, in a moment, we'll be made to look like him. This flesh that so easily entangles us, hearts which are so easily tainted, they'll be removed and we'll be pure, even as God himself is pure. This passage doesn't merely make us give up hope of purity now and wait for that day. No, this passage gives us hope that we are God's children now and purification is possible. How? Let me ask you a question. How how will ultimate purity come on that day? Why? When we're made into what we will be then, right, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Why? Because we'll see him as he is. Where does God most clearly reveal Himself now, in His Word, right? If, if ultimately, our in, our our ultimate translation to into glorification, the sinlessness that we're going to enjoy forever, if the means of that is seeing God as He is, well, totally consistent with the rest of Scripture would be that now our sanctification, our growth in purity, our growth in righteousness happens by seeing God as he is. And where do we see him? In his word. So the same as David said, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word, seeking God with your whole heart. Our hope is ultimately that we will see God as he is and be changed. Today, as you want to be changed more and more into his image, that change won't happen through any other means in seeing God as he is in his word. So just as David keeps his way pure by seeking God in his word, the New Testament Christian is to hope on God, fixing the gaze of his heart on him as we look for him revealed in his word. As we hope in him and flee heart-contaminating sin, we are purified more and more into what we shall be as glorified children of God when he returns. So do you see how important it is to flee sin and fix the gaze of your heart hopefully on God and his word? How can you think through how you can do that this week? How how what are you aiming at when you open up your your word and God's word in the morning? Maybe what are you missing when you think other things are more important? Been waking up a little earlier to get in God's Word. What might you be missing? Or even as you read, are you aiming at the right thing? Are you reading to, to learn something? That, that's good. But even better would be to learn something about God, see Him as He is. Um, what do you do with it when you see something about God? you should put those things in your heart treasure those things up in your heart worship God for it and uh, and recognize that that is the very reason why you open up God's word every morning so how how must we do this right we've covered the what or the why we covered the what so now all that remains is the how and just like the the what was sort of obvious once we got the why. Once we have the why and the what, the how is, is obvious. If right? the heart's the wellspring of life and um, we're to guard that wellspring, there shouldn't be anything else more important than this in all of our pursuits of life. So, how should we do it? Above all else, with all vigilance, with all diligence we have a new heart with a new love and affection for God flesh within Satan and temptations without they're constantly assaulting our hearts. So set up a guard for your heart by above all else, not being content to even let an ounce of sin in rather we guard our hearts by seeking God through his word all the time, Every day, no higher priorities, no days off. What do you do with more attention than you give to the guarding of your heart? The answer, according to God's word, should be nothing. What do you give more attention to than the guarding of your heart? If if we're living out Proverbs 4.23... There should be nothing. We do this above all else, with all diligence, with all vigilance. So I'm not talking about guarding your heart like you might put up a chain link fence and install security cameras and sort of let that passively happen. Say, I, I put up a guard. I did, my, I did my duty. Let me go about the important things of life. I'm sure the fence will take care of itself. I'm sure that you know I've, I've set up some guards. We're not talking about that kind of thing. We're talking about guarding the most important thing in your life, your heart. From sin to God, the very wellspring of your life. What do you do with your most important possessions? Um, This was a helpful illustration to me. What does the United States do for its most important assets? NORAD is what we do. It's the North American Aerospace Defense Command. It's placed deep within the Cheyenne Mountains, surrounded by 2,000 feet of granite on every side. Right, we have the command center for the country. It's enclosed by thick doors, blast valves, its own multi million gallon water supply, and a multitude of sensors that are always on, constantly assessing for any and every threat to its own security and security of our nature of our country. It could survive a near direct hit with a nuclear bomb. And that's the kind of guarding that God's word is exhorting us to. It's a modern day equivalent to maybe what what Solomon would have thought of putting his best men, his most alert sentries in lots of them on constant alert, always there, watching that pure well source for the city. Solomon probably had something like that in mind. So do you see the guarding of your heart as just one task among many? Solomon commands us that the way that we guard our heart is with all vigilance and above all else. And when the Bible commands us to do something above all else, we ought to listen. This isn't a suggestion. It isn't something that would be good to add to your life. No, guarding your heart must be the most important task of your life. And it must be done in all of life. It must be done with more energy energy than you do anything else in your life. So like the Secret Service would vigilantly protect the president, like the United States protects NORAD above all else, like a city protects its water supply with diligence, we must guard our hearts vigilantly, diligently, and above all else. So as we think about the need to diligently guard our hearts, consider the one who wrote this book, right? Who, who wrote Proverbs? Who's, who's talking here? It's Solomon. And surely he knew the truth of what he wrote, right? He knew that if a life is to be pure and holy unto God, the source has to be pure as well. Here's something sobering especially for those who maybe have have heard this, who think, amen, I'm right with you. That's what what I'm about. That's what this church is about. That's why I love this church. Being convinced of the necessity of heart guarding isn't sufficient. Agreeing with Solomon in God's word regarding this, this verse does not automatically mean that you are doing it. Being excited about guarding your heart doesn't mean that you're actually on guard. Consider Solomon with me and open your Bible to 1 Kings 11, 1-4. 1 Kings 11, 1-4. I'm going to read 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women from the nations, concerning which Yahweh had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them nor shall they associate with you for they will turn your heart away after God's. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And what was the result for the man who wrote Proverbs 4.23? His wives Turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. Think about this in relation to purity of the heart. His heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. David sought God with his whole heart. Solomon, through a series of heart-poisoning compromises, had his heart turned away. His heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord. And just like Spurgeon's quote alluded to earlier, consider the horrible effects on Solomon's heart, home, and ministry, Right, the Wellspring disciplines. Consider the horrible effects of that tainting due to the series of compromises in his heart shepherding. His heart turned to false gods. His children did not love God. Within a generation, the kingdom was ripped in two and inundated with idolatry. And finally, God's people were marched out of their promised land into exile and chains. Little compromises that Solomon was sure he could handle poison to the well and all that flowed from it. Solomon knew Proverbs 4.23 better than you and I do, right? He wrote it. But guarding your heart is much more than merely knowing the command. Guarding your heart is much more than being excited about guarding your heart. And it's certainly much more than using heart-guarding lingo. Being at Wellspring isn't sufficient. We must actually do it. And yesterday, here's something else that's sobering. Yesterday's success at guarding your heart does not guarantee tomorrow's. Above all else, more than you pursue food each day, more than you seek to care for your home, more than you diligently care for your children, more than you make sure that you're successful at work, more than anything else, because of the gospel and empowered by the gospel above all else guard your heart god has given you a new heart he's given you himself through the holy spirit and he commands and enables you to guard your heart we must do this above all else no days off no higher priorities it's a lifelong faithful process that we can only accomplish because he's given us that new heart. Christian, you were saved by God's grace. And we're only going to guard our heart by God's grace. So recognizing the importance of the tasks and that the stakes are high, as you diligently guard, depend on grace. Our new heart was created by God and it will only be sustained by God. Remember, God is not interested in religion. As you hear this, the first thing on your mind should not be, what must I do? God is about heart change through the cleansing of the cross. And that comes and is sustained by seeking him through his word as we flee sin. So a question I have for, for myself and for all of you is, how well have you been guarding your heart? Just like a city might monitor its water supply for evidence of poison, thinking it's okay, but then they notice there is some poison in the water, what happened? Just as a city might do that, we too should evaluate what is flowing from our wellspring to see how the source is. Maybe you haven't been giving heart guarding the vigilance that that it needs. Well, today, guarding your heart is your most important priority. So let me give you some questions to help you evaluate and guide your heart guarding. We are considering our hearts in the shadow of the cross where Jesus died to give us new hearts and reconcile us to Him. C.J. Mahaney said it well. He said, We study our hearts in the shadow of the cross as a means of protecting our hearts from the daily presence and opposition of sin. But if you don't watch, you will inevitably weaken. So there's some questions for you. Are they in your, your homework or was that from? Consider these questions and, and write down maybe the ones that are, are going to be most helpful for you. Do you s- usually sense a presence or a- or absence of affection for God in your heart? Do you have an appetite for God's word? Think through these. What, what do these reveal about your heart? We're doing like a water quality test to see sort of how you've been doing on your heart garden. Do your daily routines, maybe including your entertainment choices, internet use, use of free time, reflect that you are guarding your heart above all else. Do your prayers reflect the vigilance with which you guard your heart? What lures your heart away from God? You could probably come up with some other good questions. And to the degree that you're doing a good job here, God, not you, gets the glory. And if you're anything like me, this list of questions reveals sin. And what we've studied today shows us that in our battle against these sins, we have to go to the root. How do you do that? By confessing that that sin to God and by his grace, guard your heart. Apart from the grace of God, we are helpless to work at the heart level. But by God's grace and the shadow of the cross, we diligently shepherd our heart to God and away from sin. So what we must not do when we see sin, we must not play leapfrog over our heart. Yet that's the temptation of our heart, right? Guarding your heart is not behavior modification. How, how often are you, when you see sin, prone to attack that sin, not at the heart level, but at the behavior level? Jesus, when he spoke to the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus ac- accurately described their root problem. And something that we're prone to. If we're not watching our heart rightly, Jesus said you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see water flowing from a poison well through nicely polished pipes into a fancy cup. It's still poisonous. So where there's sin, the primary task is not to clean up the appearance of sin, right? Make it look a little less ugly, hide it from more people, maybe make it a little less gross. Those are not the solutions. The solution deals with the wellspring, the heart, which God ultimately has has dealt with. So let us never be content with behavior modification in our pursuit of holiness. God has already done the most amazing and important work in giving us new hearts, Women, by the grace of God and the shadow of the cross, for the glory of God, let us guard these new hearts together. I'm going to close with a quote by Paul David Tripp. It's at the bottom of your page, and then we'll pray. If my heart is the source of my sin problems, then lasting change must always travel through the pathway of the heart. It is not enough to alter my behavior or change my circumstances. Christ transforms people by radically changing their hearts. If the heart doesn't change, the person's words and behavior may change temporarily because of an external pressure or incentive, like the pain of discipline. But when the pressure or incentive is removed, the changes will disappear. So how must you guard your heart? How must you keep your way pure? By keeping it according to God's word. With our whole hearts we seek him. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. For its clarity. For its sufficiency. That ultimately it reveals you. Your word is not merely a collection of truths. It's not an instruction manual for life. It is revelation and it reveals you. And God, we need you. God, thank you for the gospel. The words thank you are not sufficient. But thank you. God, we hated you, every intention of our hearts were only evil continually. We had no hope. We were full of death. But you've given us new hearts. You've given us yourself. And you've given us eternal life. God, we are so grateful that you have made us your children. And we long for the day when we will be like You because we see You as You are. And God, as we wait patiently for that day, I pray that above all else, we would seek You in Your Word, that You would be faithful to reveal Yourself to us. God, I pray that the result of today would be greater holiness, a greater love for You that we would walk by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. God, where, where today has revealed sin, I pray there wouldn't be despair with that sin, but there would be hope. God, I pray that the result of today would not be behavior modification or religious effort, but a dependence on you, rooted in your gospel. Resulting in that love and holiness for which I prayed. God, I pray that you would um, superintend, that you would use the the small group times today. Um, that you would uh, be in the speech of these ladies. That you would help them um, speak well, listen well, and tether what they say to your word. God, thank you for this. Thank you for our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.